welcome to episode number three of Social Studies. I am to say that I'm excited about this conversation is a ma- massive understatement. I am just beyond thrilled to have Samantha Myler join me as we talk about what it's like to be the head of social media at Nickelodeon. She oversees hundreds of accounts with hundreds of millions. Yeah, I said that right. Hundreds of millions of followers. So absolutely crazy scale that she's building. We talk about things like the Blue's Clues social media where they had Steve come back and address former viewers um, that just went incredibly viral and talk about what it's like to catch lightning in a bottle and really reach such a massive audience on that scale. So I, I said this in our interview and I'll say it again. I feel qualified to read her resume when I look at the, the things that she's accomplished it's just massively impressive one thing to note is um, this was recorded um, early on in the podcast production where I did not have audio figured out very well so my audio is continues to be uh, subpar I figure it out later in the episodes it's going to get a lot better um, but so please forgive me her audio sounds great mine not so much but without further ado here is Samantha Myler. Samantha Myler, thank you so much for being a guest on Social Studies. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. I I felt unqualified to read your resume. I think you are the what you've accomplished at, at Nick is just absolutely incredible. Um, so you were head of social media at Nickelodeon. Would love to hear how you got started in that. Did you always know you kind of wanted to drift in that direction, or how did you evolve into into that position where you got? Um, hundreds of accounts with hundreds of millions of followers. Absolutely. I mean, to be fair, um, and I'm going to date myself very, very quickly right here. Um, social media wasn't a thing, right? When I was looking to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, that wasn't even like an inkling on, on the radar. So um, what I wanted to do was work in editorial as a magazine editor. And so I was like, you know, in high school, I was an editor of the yearbook, you know, worked on the newspaper, all the things you do that you're like, I'm going to do content. Um, and so naturally I was a fashion major in college because like <laughs> A plus B does not make sense, but it did. In the end, it was a creative outlet, right? Um, and so I spent the first like 10 years of my career as a magazine editor. I wrote and edited and top edited at everywhere from Glamour to InStyle to Us Weekly to Star. Um, and I learned so much about creating content and understanding your audience. Um, and then as the industry for magazines was really starting to wane, you know, I had been in it in like the Devil Wears Prada time period where it was like, and, you know, Sex in the City and, you know, being a writer and a magazine editor was like the end all be all. But as those magazines started to lose traction, I thought, well, what's next for me um, and what fits my skills? <laughs> um, and at the time I had three young children and um, there was an opportunity at Nickelodeon to come on board um, as editorial director of their parenting website. And so that's what I did. I just sort of got my foot in the door in literally the weirdest angle you can for Nickelodeon because it wasn't TV and it wasn't for kids. It was the opposite on both of those spectrums. So um, in my 12 years here at Nickelodeon, I have evolved and changed a million different ways. Um, But one of the most pivotal decisions I think that I made was in running um, ParentsConnect.com, which was that parenting site which no longer exists. Um, I was lobbied for us to open up uh, a Facebook page because, oh, this is what the world was doing and all of these brands and editorial um, 
uh, places had their own Facebook accounts. And it was like, we need this. And our marketing team at the time was like, yeah, go for it. We're not going to help you because it's, again, not kids and not TV. So if you want that, go and take care of it on your own. Um, and so by taking social under the same editorial wing that I was for everything else, that sort of led me down this path of where I am now. Um, you know, moving the brands, working on different pieces throughout my Nickelodeon career. And then ultimately three years ago, we had had multiple groups that were running social in different aspects. There was like an adult section, there was the brand section, and there was a Nick Jr. section. Um, we put that all together into one group. And so now I get to run all of that and have like a united social presence for the brand across all of these accounts that we have. That's awesome. Uh, the way I usually kind of structure these like chats with social media professionals is starting pretty broad with strategy and like um, overall view of social kind of approach to social and then you're really specific. But I, I can't wait to ask you about the Blue's Clues 25 year content. I was doing just fine one day, just scrolling through social media and that popped up and wrecked me. Tell me a little bit about working on that campaign. I know that, I, did, that did you have the expectations that that would get as big as it did? Honestly, we had no idea. We were really excited to work with Steve because we knew whenever we talked to him, like my, my whole office would get excited, right? Every 20 something who grew up with that version of Blue's Clues was always like Steve was everything. So when whenever he comes around and he's available to work with, we get really excited and internally we're excited. So sometimes you kind of create a piece of content that you think, we're just making this because we think this is really fun. And I have no idea if the whole world is going to feel the same way. Um, and with that piece, obviously it did, right? The whole, everybody knows about that message from yeah. Steve. Uh, I will toot our own horn um, that that is the most viewed Twitter video, not for Nickelodeon, but for the entire Paramount Global organization um, of all time. Wow. So that, that, that tweet from Steve was really uh, an incredible, incredible experience. Um, and the reason we were able to do it is because obviously we have access to Steve and he is a little bit, you know, um, on the uh, shyer side and he kind of is really um, thoughtful about what he does on social media. And that, he, he wrote that, he, he spoke that from the heart and then, you know, was able to work with us as the ultimately to distribute it in a much larger, much larger audience than we sure. ever expected. Um, it was a, it was like one of those lightning in a bottle moments that you can't predict and it just happened. And now as we're going into, there's a Blue's Clues, a new movie coming out that he's a part of, um, you know, the, every idea that comes through is like, let's do another message from Steve. And we're like, we, you can't, you can't do that again, right? Yeah. It was amazing and it was magical once, but it's like, can't just replicate that. Yeah, it's like a sequel to a really good movie. You know, it just like, it never quite lives up to the expectation. And so that's, I think you're making the right call. That's, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so many questions I want to talk to you about, but I'd love to just know as like the kind of overseeing all of this, you've got hundreds of accounts, hundreds of millions of followers, like, if you didn't hear that correctly, hundreds of millions of followers. That's nuts. Um, how are you managing, like, the accountability of obviously it leads up to you, you know? Uh, how are you managing the, the, all the channels, thinking through, making sure everything is going out? Like, is that about equipping your team to make sure they're doing great? And then just the, is there pressure with that of, like, having these giant numbers of people that are in tune to what you want to say? 
Absolutely. It's overwhelming. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we set out every year and we're like, what are our big goals for the year? And then we align our strategies to make sure that what we're doing ladders up to that. That sounds so technically so corporate ladders up, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Uh, for instance, there was a time a few years ago where our biggest KPIs were video views and watch time. It was about creating an audience, making sure they were like paying attention to our video content. Right. And so in that year, we took a look at every single type of video we were doing, what was performing best. We analyzed every week what performed best, what performed weekly, uh, and took those learnings to continually iterate. And we really were able to hit these crazy numbers by the end of the year because we had such a singular focus. Um, now we're much more concerned about engagement and um, follower growth and general brand health and brand affinity, much more so than a very specific thing of like, watch these minutes of this video. Um, and so that changes your strategy and you start to think like, where are the fan communities within our larger organization? And how do we tap into those in the best possible way? So for instance, you know, the SpongeBob community is obviously our largest community. And we are constantly, you know, we have pieces that go up every single day in the SpongeBob world. 98% of them are not marketing messages. They are really just engagement plays talking to the fans, engaging with what they're already talking about, trying to make SpongeBob always relevant and timely. We had a really, we had a really great piece up um, last week that was like a, uh, a parody of a Top Gun poster with SpongeBob. And obviously it was like the right timing, you know, it's a sister net for us or Paramount, like every, it aligned in so many ways, but it was just also a really fun piece of content. And so of course the audience took to it and loved it and shared it. Um, you know, when you're working on the brand account, it's harder because you have a wider swath of community that aren't so singularly focused on like a particular property or character. And so we try to appeal in the broadest sense to fans from, you know, 13 to 50. <laughs> and they all like different aspects of Nickelodeon. So trying to sort of constantly look at that balance of like what's current and marketing messaging and feels like it's building the business and what's relevant to the biggest bulk of that audience. So what content will resonate with a 22 year old, a 32 year old, a 42 year old, et cetera, and, and balancing that throughout. So it is um, a lot of work. I don't do it alone. I have a huge team. We have about 30 something people um, and we're bi-coastal. So we have East Coast and West Coast teams. Um, that really do the day-to-day -day of getting it all done. Um, I am so lucky to work with a brilliantly creative group of individuals who have ideas coming up, you know, nonstop new ideas, new ways to look at the same things that we've been doing. That's great. What are you, you talked about audience and knowing your audience and knowing who they are and what they want. Because at the surface you think, okay, I know who my audience is, but doing that deep dive to figure out really who are they and what do they care about what are you doing to, to kind of, those metrics aren't always surface level. How are you figuring out who your audience is and what's important to them? Absolutely. The, you know, the data that you can get from the platforms obviously is the starting point. That'll tell you the most basic information from ages to, you know, sex to um, location, et cetera. But 
we have a really strong community management team and they are talking, they're acting as our proxy all day long and commenting and having conversation with our fans. Seeing what people talk about and what bubbles up in those conversations tells us more than anything else. Um, obviously when we have a hit piece like the Steve, you know, the Steve video, yeah. it's hitting such a broad audience that it's like, Obviously, it's touching a lot of people who don't follow us, who just remember this show as part of their childhood. Um, so it's really important to us to not only um, track the comments and the conversation that lives on our O&O, but what's happening organically. And so we're always looking to see what are people talking about, whether it's our characters or our specific, or just our brand in general. Um, and once we find that, then we can like kind of hone in and be like, okay, this is a really interesting thing that's bubbling up that people are talking about right this minute. How do we capitalize on that in an interesting way? That's awesome. When when you think about you talking about like the KPIs and how you've kind of shifted what you're measuring, and one quote I love is what gets measured is what gets improved. That you got to be paying whatever you're paying attention to the most is going to grow. How do you decide this is our most important metric? This is where we want to focus our attention. And kind of, you said that shifted in recent years. Why have you landed on what you've landed on now? Well, as a company, Nickelodeon's big, big um, sort of north star in the last year or two is about building out our franchises, and you know that's why you're seeing a lot of great um, offshoots of of um, you're seeing lots of offshoots of popular franchises of ours. Like we have the Camp Coral spinoff from SpongeBob, and you know there was the Patrick Star Show, and there's more coming down the line. Um, the Avatar Studios is launching and we're going to have a bunch of new content around Avatar, right? Knowing that these are worlds and stories that really resonate with our audience. So that was like as an uber goal and directive from um, the larger corporation of like build these franchises. Our interpretation of that as a social team was like, great, that means we're going to stoke the fan communities and we need to get in there. And the only way to show that the fan communities are listening to what we are saying and care about it is through engagements and through follower growth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that, that's true. And like I said, like what gets measured is what gets improved and so having that focus has to help. Um, you mentioned like you really caught lightning in a bottle with that Steve, you know, Blue's Clues 25 year content. And when you, it, it, I'd imagine, I've never had a piece of content go half as viral as that, but you, I, I can imagine it'd be easy to think like, wow, we got lucky when you look back, it's really not luck, right? Like there are a lot of, you're, you might be punching a lottery ticket, but you're doing the right thing to punch a lot of tickets, you know, putting the right ingredients in to bake the cake. Um, what are what do you think are some of the things that went, went into that? Maybe not even just that piece of content, but your content that's really successful, that really resonates with an audience. What are the types of things that go into that? Or what are the types of actions you can do that increase your odds of getting lucky? Absolutely. I, that, you used a really good analogy and the one I'm always saying to my team is if you want to get struck by lightning it's much easier if you're standing on top of a van with a metal rod during a rainstorm than it is just on another random day and so it's like we exactly as you're saying we kind of put ourselves in the best position to hopefully get hit <laughs> get hit by lightning is a good <laughs> um I think for us it's a combination of knowing you know, and we're constantly analyzing our, our data around our content and saying like, okay, this at this moment, what is 
getting us the most engagement? Is it a carousel? Is it a video? Is it a video? Is it just a plain old graphic or a photo? Is it an, in stories or is it an in feed or is it reels? Is it a TikTok? <laughs> right. So knowing what platforms and what um, what tools within that platform are performing best for you. Right. That's the starting point. Um, and then on top of that, it's like, OK, now we have our best practices for our content and you know, that means captioning when it's a direct to camera. That means it's, you know, making sure that it's in the right specs. I feel like these are really basic, but if it's, you'd be amazed how many things you see out there. And sure, you're like, oh, yeah. God, I can't believe I saw that brand that somebody else posted and like the caption was cut off because they didn't have it in the safe space. Um, using, you know, beloved characters, you know, tapping into that. And then it's really, how do we enhance our distribution at the end of the day? And so that could be, working with talent, right? Collabing on posts, making sure that like we capitalize on their audiences, on our audiences, like who else is going to help this thing get legs and be seen by more people. So the more, you know, Steve's, it was was only Steve, right? There was nobody else in that video, but a lot of times we'll do things with, you know, mix and match our talent together. So again, we can get this fan, you know, this group and that group excited about it because they're both of the things they love are in the video or the piece of content. So it's about amazing content, but also how you put it out there, when you put it out there and where you decide to put it. Yeah, I heard someone say the other day, content is king, but distribution is queen. That good content is like quality, consistent, original content. That that strategy is never going to change, but distribution, that, that seems to be the, net, the, the kind of the, the magic sauce that's kind of changing and ever evolving. What's changed for you recently, or how are you thinking about that distribution, whether it be uh, methods or formats? How are you thinking about how do we package this content in a way that's going to perform well based on our audience, but also based on the algorithm and the, the way people are consuming content now? First of all, I apologize. Like the neighbors, um, law, landscapers are out there. No worries. The windows are shut and it is so loud. <laughs> of course, I just want to apologize for that. No worries. Um, the distribution is really um, important and like I said having our own followers and having a big base is makes it easier right that's the great starting point um, but the more we look at ourselves as a social team as creating content for the entire world of social not just for our own accounts right so what we are thinking strategically is how is our talent going to talk about this project how is our um, even our producers and people who work behind the scenes, what is the network that we can, you know, sort of utilize from on that end and working with partners, right? So my team is really an organic social team. We are not really playing in that paid space. We have a separate group that works with us. And so occasionally there's organic content that we're like, this is so good, let's boost this, right? And so there we give it a little bit of a goose to help it. Um, along and sometimes it's partnering with our sister nuts whether that's mtv or paramount plus or somebody else Um, and sometimes it's partnering with outside companies right we have a great idea and we know that this thing is relevant to them and there's a business um collaboration that can happen and so we work like that you know even beyond like an advertising um relationship so really trying hard to get the most people to see the the content um what you know simple like what are the trending hashtags what are the trending things on on your for you page on tiktok right how do we use those 
the sounds that are available to us as a brand, which I'm sure you hear about all right. the time from brands complaining that we can't use this song and we can't use that song. Um, but there are plenty of song uh, sounds that are available. And so we are like, okay, great. This one's trending. Let's find a fun way to use our content around that. It yeah. also helps when you have a property like SpongeBob, where there is a, there's a meme for absolutely everything that happens in the entire world at any given moment that you can find a SpongeBob meme to make sense. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I was talking to a guy earlier about, uh, about how humor um, plays into growing the following. And I, I found that there are so many companies that just, we want to be buttoned up on social. We want to, you know, act like a corporation. But humor seems to be the quickest way to get people to relate to your brand, to fall in love with your brand. How are you, like, has that always been a part of your strategy? Or how, is that becoming more and more prevalent to use humor as a way to connect with not just your existing followers, but like you said, you know, new audiences across the, across the board. Nickelodeon, you know, it has comedy at its core, right? You know, the the original shows you grew up on, um, and the shows today are still full of that what we call heart, smart, and fart, right? A little bit of all of that combined to give you that feeling of something you loved. Um, and so we've always been irreverent and funny, and so we pride ourselves on our social voices following suit with the, how the brand has always acted as like a little bit of a crazy place to be um, in the best possible way. Uh, yeah, memes and, you know, funny moments are definitely going to get you far. But, you know, that Steve piece was as earnest as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> right? I feel like that's like the exception that proves the rule in a way because it right. really was um, the opposite of comedy. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, one thing I just read in your bio that was super interesting was like talking about just uh, launching new brands as part of Nickelodeon. And when you're looking at like starting a new account, like you talk about like distribution when you've already got a massive audience, it's it's kind of you're cheating a little bit, right? <laughs> like you you've got a shortcut, you got a big you got a big audience to kind of kickstart that that distribution with. When you're starting a brand or an account from scratch, what are you? What's your thought process of how any how do I take this from? zero to 10,000, 10,000 to 100,000, 100,000 to a million. What's your thought process uh, and how you approach that? I think it's really the same core values as the, you know, what I was saying earlier. The account and the content needs to make sense for a specific fandom. Um, and if you have that fandom and you're like, well, these people are being underserved and they're missing a space, that's when we create, I guess, a breakout account. Um, a good example is, you know, we listen, of the hundreds of accounts that we do have, many, many, many were built, you know, years ago. So you're right. So we have established followings. It's, you know, growth is not the issue there. But, you know, up until two years ago, we didn't have a standalone avatar account, right? It was one of those properties that just was somehow fell through the cracks through the years. It didn't have standalone accounts. And so we said, we need to build a standalone Instagram for Avatar because we feel like we are seeing so much conversation that's happening around this property and this, this franchise that we are missing out by not having a place to talk about it. Um, and so we built that up and um, within six months of us building it, it was then announced, which we had not, we were not privy to at the time, that this new Avatar, Avatar studio was being built. So now it's like, oh, even better, because now I have a business reason later on to drive to Avatar. 
but we have hundreds of thousands of followers there because we create content that makes sense for that audience. That audience tells their friends, they share our content with other people who are like, oh, I didn't know this was here. And then they come. And so we're building that community piece by piece. And it's really done through being like the experts in the property and creating content that's interesting and different. Right, people are, we're always looking for a hack. <laughs> How do I grow faster, easier? And I think that's, that's you hit the nail on the head. It's can creating quality, original, relevant content every day for a long time. You know, and that's the secret to growth, right? Is that, is that quality content. What are you, what are what voices are you listening to? What brands are you following? Like, who's keeping you sharp? Who's giving you inspiration? Um, what 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 are the like, you know, accounts or voices that are keeping you at the top of your game? I mean, as personally, right? I have interests, um, and I have personal interest and I have professional interest, right? Uh, and so what I, my entire social persona is a mix of those things. And I am like constantly looking at things as a brand. I'm like, oh, I love what they're doing as a brand. And this is so much fun for me. Um, it doesn't necessarily make sense in the Nickelodeon scheme of things, right? Like I love Ben and Jerry's and like their social awareness and the way they talk, but that's, you know, it's inspiring, but it's not necessarily like a direct correlation to what we're doing on Nickelodeon. Um, I love crafts personally, so I watch craft videos like all day long. Um, I can watch how to make everything and anything on TikTok. That does inspire us. We're like, oh, there's people making rugs. Let's make let's have one of them make a video for us. Like, oh, here, there's a whole trend of people making literally you name it. Like I can't even think of it. Everything from pottery to glass blown art to, you know, our uh, floral arrangements. Finding ways to turn that into content that fits our brand. Is really fun for me. So I love looking at that kind of thing, stuff. Um, you know, there's people will talk about the, the traditional, or I wouldn't say traditional, but like the often quoted content brands. Um, and they're great and they're really inspiring. But I also just feel like for me, it's like the smaller, weirder things that I like better than just, you know, the typical like Taco Bell and Moon Pie of the world that everybody always seems to quote. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because once brands get to a point that they get, you know, Adam Grant talks about this, I think it was originals, the, where he talks about, like, you get so big, your accounts get so big that you play it safe. You know, you don't want to test and iterate. And so sometimes it is those smaller niche accounts that they're doing the stuff that's really on the cutting edge because they've got nothing to lose. They're willing to risk it and to kind of grow. Absolutely, right? And that begs the point, right? As a large corporation, um, we have a lot of at stake <laughs> and um, every single piece of content we post, you know, is vetted through our legal team, through our, you know, make sure we have clearances, make sure it fits our standards, etc. cetera. Um, but also everything can be considered a statement from the brand, right? So we have to be really thoughtful about what we say, even in comments and responses so that it's not some sort of big announcement that somebody is interpreting when it, we're really just trying to have fun on, a, you know, or make a funny, you know, punny response. So there's definitely responsibility there when you work at a big company. Um, but like I said, the joy of that is like all these people get to see it. Um, the scary part is all these people are seeing right. it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to be super respectful of your time. I really enjoy this conversation. Where can people find out more about you? I know you're active on LinkedIn. What are, what's the best place for people to kind of follow along with what you're doing or watch the work that's coming out of your organization? 
Absolutely. Well, obviously follow Nickelodeon if you aren't, which I don't know how you could not be. Um, I'm uh, uh, SpyGirl29 because that was my original AOL handle um, in middle school a million years ago. And so that is my um, handle on Instagram. Um, as well as, um, like I said, LinkedIn, Samantha Myler, and um, I would love to hear from people, and I'm always around to <laughs> chat and give advice or hear some interesting stories. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Like I said, I think this conversation has been incredibly uh, insightful, you know, uh, talking with someone that runs um, more followers than I'll ever dream about. And so that, that's you never super know. Interesting. Who knows? Jacob, Fingers you know can happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. I'll see you later. All right. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Samantha Myler. Just incredibly grateful that she would take the time to sit down with me and talk about, you know, her job and the way she's thinking about social. I hope that's beneficial as you think about what it takes to take your social media game to the next level. And now is the part of the episode where I ask you, I beg you, I plead with you, I request of you that you would subscribe to this show and that you would share this episode with a friend. If you thought this was at all beneficial, it would mean the world to me if you would share it with another social media manager, somebody who's in the world of digital, um, that's really how uh, it helps this podcast grow. Um, I would do these episodes even if nobody listened. I just love having these conversations with people that are crushing it in social media. But it's a lot more fun if uh, it's adding value to other people, not just me. So if you would share it with a friend, that would be amazing. I will be back next week on Monday with another episode of Social Studies.